Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek here with Figured Out Baseball. We've got another Figured Out Baseball podcast today for you, and uh, we're we're really lucky to be joined uh, by Rob Fournier, who is the head baseball coach at Wabash Valley Community College. It's a junior college uh, in Mount Carmel, Illinois, and and he's he's one of the most successful junior college coaches in the country. So we're very very lucky uh, to be joined by him today. And before we get into questions. Uh, with Coach Fournier, we'll, I'll kind of give you a background on him and, and let you know a little bit more about him before we get into things. Uh, he's actually, despite he's, the fact that he's coaching in Illinois, he's actually a native of Ojai, California. Hope I pronounced, hope I pronounced that right. I had, had to ask him a couple, that a, a few minutes ago. Um, in 1991, 1992, he was a shortstop for Ventura Community College, a junior college in California. Then in 1993, 1994, he became an all-conference center fielder for McMurray College, which is a Division III school in Jacksonville, Illinois. He graduated from McMurray in 1994, uh, and that's where he started his coaching career as well. In 1995 and 1996, he was the hitting coach and recruiting coordinator for McMurray College. Uh, in those two years as a coach, the team compiled a 62-22 and 22 record. The very next year, 1997, uh, he became the head coach at Wabash Valley. And he has been there since, so he has completed 22 seasons. He is just about to start his 23rd year, and I'll, I'll give you some some kind of highlights there. In the meantime, in 1997, which is his first season being the head coach, the team went 37 and 16 after going 12 and 34 the previous year. Uh, in 2017, the team went to the Junior College World Series, finished third place overall in, in the country for Division One Junior College teams. Um, in his coaching career and, and with, you know, the, the players that he's had, he has had players move on to play in the SEC, the Big 12, the Missouri Valley, Conference USA, Sunbelt, Big 10, Atlantic Sun, Ohio Valley, and many other conferences. And obviously to have that many guys move on to those Division One schools, his players have, have got to be good academically, which is uh, an important thing for junior college and something that we'll talk about. He's had 68 players who have signed pro contracts. Four alumni who played at Wabash Valley uh, made it to the major leagues. He's had more than 150 players sign Division I baseball. Uh, he's had 22 straight winning seasons. His teams, which is every season, in case you're counting, it's that's every year that he's been at Wabash, they've had a winning record. They've also won 30-plus games every year that he's been there. They've had they've won 40 or more games 15 times in his 22 seasons, which is unbelievable. The team has won 12 conference championships in his 22 seasons. Um, he's also been nominated the coach of the year 12 times. He has 18 straight years ranked in the NJCAA Top 25. He is also in a, uh, he's been an associate scout with the Cleveland Indians. He's currently an associate scout for the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, Coach Fournier has done all this while only being 47 years old. It's an unbelievable resume. And, uh, Coach, we're just really, really glad to have you here today on the podcast with us. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a treat, being able to, to speak with an old friend about uh, baseball is um, very fortunate. So thank you very much for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since you and I have talked. I I used to go uh, and recruit Coach Fournier's guys uh, at at Wabash, and he always had a lot of guys who were too good to come wherever I was coaching. And luckily, we we got a couple along the way, um, and uh, still keep in touch with some of those guys. Actually, believe it or not. Um, but just kind of want to start out. My my first question. I just kind of like to touch on some things in your bio that are interesting first. And the first one is, you know, being a California native and playing junior college baseball in California, how did you end up in Illinois playing uh, your four-year 
after you left junior college, how'd you end up in Illinois playing? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, for me, um, you know, I transitioned from uh, being an infielder to an outfielder, so I wasn't heavily recruited. But I, I was a um, young man that kind of wanted to venture out and get out of California just to kind of see the world. And we had, at the time, three other players, a real close friend of mine, decided to go to McMurray College. But um, right when it became time to actually go out there, uh, those other individuals decided to, I'm not going to say chicken out, but got cold feet. And uh, I just uh, decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this. And uh, so we did, I decided to... Um, drive out in my little Mitsubishi truck and, and go to McMurray College um, and had some wonderful times there, and the rest was kind of history. So um, I love being out there. It was awesome playing Division three baseball at the time and taught me so many lessons, and uh, it was really cool. Very cool, and obviously you've been here since. Now your wife's from Indiana, so I assume that that kind of makes you that makes you pretty uh, indispensable right there, right? <laughs> yeah, she's a Southern Indiana young lady so um that's kind of how that that went but um it was kind of neat uh how she taught me the, the midwest way and, and everything else. <laughs> that's funny that you that a lot of times uh, i know a bunch of guys actually who their coaching jobs uh have have one way or another brought them to meet their wife actually when i was coaching at southeastern community college in illinois i met my wife when i was out there so my wife is a clinton iowa native and uh, so that's that's kind of a cool thing. I at the time I didn't know what the heck I was doing going out to Iowa to coach, being from Pennsylvania, and I was coaching in, at a school in Pittsburgh at the time. And I guess that's why. So <laughs> funny how that <laughs> stuff works out. It is. It's, it's, uh, I, I guess I, I want to ask you next just about your first season. So this, the the year before your first year being head coach, the team only won twelve games. Your first year, you won thirty seven. Um, how did you end up getting the head job there? You you only spent you spent two seasons as a as a as a as a, an assistant coach at McMurray, um, and then got the head coaching job at, at Wabash Valley. As a, as such a young guy, how'd you go about getting a head coaching job? How did that work out? Well, number one, I was just lucky and fortunate that we, you know, I made the decision to take the assistant job there to begin with, and because I was actually heading back to Ventura College to take a volunteer job there, but my head coach at McMurray College at the time decided, you know, I'm said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity here. Um, it's a lot more money than what you're making at McMurray, uh, which was basically nothing. And uh, so when I was uh, at Wabash Valley, I decided to take that job. Um, in the meantime, I was there for, you know, probably going on two months, and the head coach at Wabash Valley at the time decided that he was going to take another job. So honestly, I just got lucky in that, hey, they decided we got it's too late to hire another coach. We're going to give this young man a a shot out and see how he does and and luckily um, our kids worked really hard and uh, we decided hey we're going to probably do something a little bit different this year and and uh, get better and at the end of the year they decided to keep me on and and basically the rest is history but I was very fortunate just very lucky to, to you know get that opportunity and, and run with it. So how did you do it that first year winning 37 games for for those who aren't really familiar with with uh, college baseball um, in junior college as well as Division One, you're allowed to play 56 games, uh, and, and to, so to win 37, I mean that, that's a that's a really good year. Upper once you get to the upper 30s, that's a that's a pretty successful season. How did you go about doing that? Was it was it the same players who just got better? Did you get some transfers to come in there, which uh, is something that's kind of unique with junior college, uh, junior college teams? Again, people that aren't familiar, a junior college team can bring a player in 
between the fall and spring semesters, and they'll be eligible to play, which does which can't happen at four-year schools, but at junior college you can. How, how did you do it that first year? I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke and mirrors, uh, huh? That 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 is part of it. Um, is that you know sometimes when you get a new coach, things can go really good or really bad, you know. And I think the kids kind of rallied behind what we were trying to do at the time. Uh, we did get a couple transfers at the break that we worked really hard at uh, from four-year schools that helped out. Um, and I think that uh, the guys just, you know, bought in and, and were committed to something we were trying to do. And and um, we had enough talent that year. Um, I think the head coach previous to us, Dan Madrill, had, had started to get the ship going the right direction. But the kids were just bought into what we were trying to do, and it just kind of snowballed, and, and we started to sneak up on some people, and, and our team just got better and better and better. You know, I was very fortunate from the program I came before that we learned some, I learned some things, and and uh, I give the tribute to the kids, you know, and so we were fortunate. And since then, you obviously haven't looked back. You've won 30-plus games every year, 40 wins in 15 of your 22 seasons. Um, you guys are consistently ranked in the top 25 of, of junior college baseball. You know, one of the challenging things about coaching in junior college is the turnover that you have in your coaching staff because, you know, and I don't know exactly what your situation is, but I know that, uh, you know, pretty much outside of, of Division One baseball, there aren't many schools out there, Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, and junior college. There, The majority of schools don't pay their assistants well enough to hold their assistants for very long. Um, I know you've got a really great coaching tree underneath you, which I'd like to talk about a little bit as well, but um, what have you done? What do you think are some of the staples at Wabash Valley that make you guys a consistent winner, despite the fact that there is a lot of turnover on your coaching staff? So obviously you've got to have some things in place uh, with, you know, kind of no matter who's there, this is the way that Wabash does it. This is what makes us winners. Would you mind just kind of sharing a little bit of that and you, what you think makes the team successful year in and year out? Well, sure, absolutely. You know, and it's, you know, I'm sure it's similar to a lot of other programs and that they have their staples and their core values, but I think it's really important that you coach your coaches and as well as coaching your players. And so, you know, when we do, we do have that turnover, you know, we're not fortunate. Like some programs, they may have full-time assistance, but we're really blessed that we have two positions for our, for our guys and that it gives them enough to be able to stay here for a little bit. Um, but their motivation as well is to get our program better uh, than when they came here and hopefully get himself a more financially stable job moving, you know, down the road. So I think they compete as well, you know, to, to do their best to help our program out and uh, just learn and and uh, move on in that standpoint. So I think that's a big thing in our development is coaching our coaches as well. They're hungry. They want to learn. They want to recruit. They want to go out and network and, and become a better, you know, a better coach. And so that's a huge deal when our guys come in here is they really know that, hey, they come to Wabash Valley and they can really recruit and get to know everybody. And just you know, hopefully learn from a system that, you know, program that's been in place for a while. So it, that's been really good, you know, over the years is our coaches just um, helping our program get better and helping me get better as well. So from that aspect. Uh, so when if you if there's a young coach listening to this, maybe it's uh, maybe it's even a, a like a, a college player or a guy that's coaching in high school or or someone who's just starting their college coaching career who's interested just to know how to move up in the coaching world. Um, what kind of what kind of questions do you ask? Like when you're interviewing guys, you have coaching positions come open. Obviously, to to maintain this level of success, you know you've also got to be pretty good at hiring the right guys. 
um, and getting the guys to come in to buy in. So what kind of questions are you asking for? Are you asking when you're interviewing coaches, when you have an opening, and you know, what are maybe some things on the resume that you're looking for for guys that let you know that this guy's going to be a good fit? Well, one of the things that I do is is talk, obviously, the the people that, you know, that helped them and kind of promoted them to, to hopefully get a job here and, and their references, that kind of thing. But honestly, it's about how I figure out how important it is to them, how hungry they are to be a coach, um, what things have they been through as a coach, um, you know, have they had failure, have they had success, you know. I want all of that, but most importantly, it's not about, you know, that he's been maybe at the, the elite programs. It's about how bad this kid wants to coach or this young man. So I really, when we interview, we really grill those guys on how important this is going to be to you. Where do you want to go? And is there any obstacles that's going to stop from you from being the best recruiter and how much you want to learn? Because to me, that's when I grew is when I figured out it's not about me, it's about how much I want to learn as a coach because that's the ultimate thing. And I'm continually battling right now to just learn as a head coach. So I want to know, you know, if these young men just want to learn and recruit and get to know people and that kind of thing. So those are things that I really grind on. Yeah, it's nice to get, you know, guys from good programs, but if he's not in it for the right reasons, um, so the interviews are very extensive, you know, about things. So um, hopefully that answers somewhat of your question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so you're a guy that likes to learn. You know, learning as a head coach to you is important, and and you want to get assistant coaches in there that can learn. I'm just curious, what are some what are some good resources that you use again for young coaches out there, even like a high school coach that's out there? Um, are there uh, anything in particular that you kind of look to, whether it's it's you know, books or podcasts or social media or coaches' conventions or, you know, what what are your some of your best tools to continue to learn and grow as a head coach? So some of the things, and I want all that, just like you mentioned, I want our guys to network as much as possible. I want them to go to the conventions. I want to go to as many clinics as possible. Um, I want at our camps that we have, I want them to be able to run it and speak and organize things. But some of the things that I really want our guys to do is learn from some programs that they've been around, go to their practice and ask questions. Don't be afraid to go to a head coach. I don't care if it's South Carolina or UCLA or if you have an opportunity to go talk to that head coach, I don't care if it's the best Division three, the best high school program, anybody that's had some experience, I want the young coaches to talk to them, interview them, ask them what works, what doesn't work. Um, and most important, I just want our, our coaches, our assistants, to be personable, uh, be outgoing, be really aggressive, and be humble. But, you know, the biggest thing is just learning. And so I, I want our guys – the biggest thing that I've learned over the years is our guys, our assistants, can go to actual practices um, during the season is a big deal of our guys to, to learn. And what about for you personally? What are some of your – the resources that you like the most for yourself to continue to learn and grow. Uh, is there anything in particular that you, you might recommend again, whether it's a book or a podcast or uh, I don't know, anything of magazines that you read, uh, websites you like to visit where you, you feel like you're getting good information and you're able to learn as a head coach with all, with the experience that you've got. You know, it's a good question because some of the things that I learned through and it's, it just doesn't have to be baseball. You know, the mental game has become so more prevalent these days and, and so, you know, moving forward with our program, we've 
I feel like our program's taken the next level just because we've really bought into what works for us. And it doesn't, there's so many great information out there, but the mental game, we try to take from a little bit from whoever, you know, whether it's, you know, Brian Kane or, or anybody possible that has good information, we are going to absolutely dominate and try to learn from the mental part, you know, what works for us. Um, but I think, you know, we learn from, I learn from football coaches a lot of times. I learn from, you know, it doesn't matter if it's soccer coaches. You know, I, I love listening to, you know, coaches in different sports, um, how it works. And I'm just, to me, it's about being open-minded and ultimately figuring out what works for me and how our personality as coaches and my personality um, can take away from other coaches and fit into what we're trying to do. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, I love, you know, coaches that when I grew up, um, I'm a huge USC fan, so I, I, I grew up following Pete Carroll and, and what he tries to do. And and I also try to learn from the best coaches in America, from Augie, you know, Garrido to everybody. And I love looking on different podcasts I listen to on the ABCA to, you know, to whether it's anybody. But it's a constant battle of trying to find time to learn and listen and what kind of information that's going to help best for our program. I think that's great. I, and for me, I used to like uh, being able to sit in basketball gyms and listen to basketball coaches. Sometimes on the football field, there's so yeah. much going on. You know, I know that there are a lot of really good things on YouTube from, from football coaches. And, you know, personally, I like anytime I can find a little clip from Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney, like I love listening to those guys talk. But I used to like – as a college coach, like sitting in the basketball gym and just kind of listening to how they talk, because sometimes they they just teach things teach things a little differently than you do, and it doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter what sport, like you said. It's just listening to how coaches communicate with their players, and uh, and just sort of the motivation they're using and things like that. I always found really interesting. Um, so the mental game is something that I'm really interested in. And on Figured Out, we do have we have a, a sports psychologist who works with us who. Um, She's got a doctorate. She was with the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. She's currently in the middle of publishing a book, and I think that she's going to get back on a college campus. I think she likes the college atmosphere a little better than the pro atmosphere. But uh, but that's an area that I really have read a lot about, and I really just enjoy studying. Um, and the, you know, the challenge is how do you then coach what you learn with the mental game into your players? Um, are there some things that you are able to do with your players through practice or through meetings with the team where where you, um, I guess you teach them the mental game or yeah. whether it's advertent or not, how, how do you incorporate that into your into your practices with your team? So, and it's a great question. I really feel like that's it's absolutely crucial to what you're trying to do in baseball. In any sport, it doesn't matter, but I think you need to have a routine and a plan, and that's the biggest thing is trying to teach these guys a routine. So what we've been doing the last several years, it's probably been about seven or eight years we've been try to follow this routine but every Friday we will meet and you know we call it the you know the life skills game is what we do because it's more than just you know about baseball it's about everything so when we go through every week we do which I'm sure you're familiar with a grid you know with our players uh, Brian Kane was famous for this I'm sure which you know a lot of people have done probably even previous you know to him but for whatever reason that stuck with us and we do a grid on a weekly basis, and then we incorporate that also sometimes into our hitting groups. You know, we're obviously slowing it down is a big thing, but I just think it's a huge deal doing a grid to be able to just concentrate on one thing at a time, you know, and trying to understand how do you get centered up and how important it is to breathe. And to me, 
the only thing that I talk about with our guys is the only way possible and the best way possible to get centered up is to breathe and being able to control your nerves, and that's the only way that I know. And so we teach the breathing aspect over and over. We go the routine stuff over and over every Friday that we, we meet as a team. Now, what kind of routines do you go through with your players? Like, what what are what are some things that you've ingrained in them that that they'll take with them when they leave your program? So we have you know a, a situation that we talk about all the time. It's it, it's a little program. It's kind of a five step pro, program for the mental game, and it's you know being able to control your breath, um, visualize, um, being able to be in a moment where you feel really we call it the happy moment um, where. We tell each one of our players to, you know, slow it down and think back, and it's kind of like a, a moment in time where everything was slow, whether it's a little league hitting a, you know, a home run or the World Series. Just whenever you felt good, being able to go back to that moment. And then fourthly, we talk about an ESPN highlight reel uh, for our guys where you see it over and over and over, you know, things that you did really good. And so we have them write it down, and it's and the fifth thing is just being able to breathe again and then start it all over again. So it's like a five-step pro, you know, process that we go over, um, and they have that mentally ingrained in their head. And so, you know, we have our guys basically do it before every practice, uh, before every game, um, and when we need it, when we really need it. And, you know, we have them write it out, we laminate it, they have it to when, you know, they can go back to it and study it. So that's one way of that we do the mental game as far as that pertains to baseball, but we also talk about, you know, just routines, your hitting routine. Um, was something we learned, and I go over and over this from Mr. Revisa <laughs> that, uh, you know, of course, you, you probably went through that as well, but just a mental routine of, you know, when they step up to the plate, things that they do and, and that kind of stuff. So we have them write it out, and, and then we talk about it, and they have it laminated, and they go back to that every day. So those are two things, the five-step pro, process, and then, just a hidden routine that they go over every every single day in batting practice in a game. So, and for people who aren't familiar with uh, with who coaches is bringing up, it's it's the late Ken Revisa and Brian Kane are two guys that are pretty easy to find on either YouTube, social media. Um, but those are two of the real pioneers in in baseball uh, mental the mental game of baseball and and uh, some really good really good books as well as the the videos they've got um so the routines that you guys go through and the cards that they're laminating are, are those are, are your kids i mean do you encourage them to even uh reference those like in a game if they've had a couple yeah. tough at bats or a tough inning on the mound but they've got to go back out there you know is that do you encourage them to even do that in the you know during the game yeah so like we have you know our routine is our four hitters that you know our, our guy that's obviously hitting live the guys on deck is if he's getting the, the timing down, um, the guy in the hole is getting the release point. And then our fourth guy is basically four guys, you know, trying to work together. That fourth guy is, is visualizing, you know, through, you know, his imagery stuff. So those four guys work together, and, you know, they work together as timing. You know, that the, the guy on deck, he's not running up to the, you know, obviously to the on plate, ready to hit. The next guy behind him is getting the bat for him. So everything's slow, and then we go through that. Those four guys work together. I think that's that's terrific. And and those little things, breathing and establishing a routine, they seem, they almost seem like too easy. But when you start doing it as a player, and for me, I I didn't, I, I wish I 
had uh, a better routine, a better mental game as a player, but as a coach, it's meant so much to so many players, and I've seen so many players have success with it. And when you were talking about the highlight reel that you have your guys sort of write out, I, it made me think back to uh, – so I, right now I live in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and there's a division – I'm sorry, there's a, there's a double-A team here in town. And uh, I've had quite a few former players that have come through and, and played double-A in Altoona. So usually, you know, if, they, if they're visiting, I try to take them out for breakfast and kind of talk with them. And there's, there's one pitcher who's in the Rockies organization, and he's – He's still pitching, and, and hopefully he gets a chance to uh, to to be in the big leagues at some point. Um, but he and I were sitting and talking, and, and he's pretty in tune with the mental game. And we were talking about we were talking about some things one day at breakfast, and um, he's been in town a couple times. And he started talking about one of his teammates, and you know they they played together the year before, and the guy was an all star. He was an unbelievable player played together the following year. Now they, they both made it to double A and all of a sudden this hitter, it was a hitter that started to experience some difficult times. And, uh, and the guy that I met with actually put together <laughs> like a video highlight for him. And it was from the year before and he found enough video from him and he basically showed him and said, look, man, this is who you are. You're not the guy who's hitting 210 right now. This is not you. You're the guy that hit 335 last year with all these extra base hits. Like this is you. And he basically showed him a video and like reminded him who he was and he and then my some this former player of mine told me that once that once that happened, the guy went on a tear for a month and hit like four hundred the next month, and it was it was just unbelievable how much that that helps to just remind yourself who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really great a really great thing you do with your guys, and obviously a big part of the reason that you guys are successful and have a lot of successful individuals, which you know accounts for uh, for the good teams so I just want to talk a little bit more I, I obviously you can tell that I, I like to talk about winning I like to talk about success um, and I think those are you know something that, that people want to really learn with the junior college program you've got a lot of things you're trying to accomplish you know you're trying to win games you're trying to get kids to graduate with their associates degree so they're ready to go on to four-year schools um, you're trying to prepare them just to be you know good good people as well, which I know that you do. How do you define success in a junior college program? You know, for you to have success, I'm sure it's more than just win. Excuse me, it's more than just wins. How do you define success within your program, Coach? It's a great question. But, you know, the old cliche, being the best you can be, is just so important when you really get to the end of the day of it. And so success to us is, you know, each year, um, and it's it's hard, you know, because you put so many. Everybody wants to get into all the goals and and everything else, and those are those are awesome. But you know, making a long story short here, we want our guys to graduate. Number one, we always got to you know talk about this is the academics is so important, okay? Because we feel like we get really good players that you know, all these guys are capable of going, whether it's professionally or Division One or Division Two or Division. It doesn't matter. Um, our biggest thing is moving kids on. And so you can't do that unless you don't have a plan for the academics. So that has to go hand in hand. And a lot of times in junior college, you really get, you know, the fallacy of, hey, you know, maybe these kids are here for a reason. Well, yeah, a lot of them are maybe because they're not good students in high school. But we don't even look at what they've done in the past. We have a plan for them when they get here. And we have our expectations. So the academics and baseball have to go hand in hand. So that's one of the biggest things for success is graduating our guys so they have the opportunity to go to the school where they want to because to me you know everybody wants to you know talk about how many division one players or pros scouts and all that kind of stuff that are moving on and that's great and we've had some success that but hey 
there's great Division two schools. There's great NEI programs. There's great Division three schools. That's where I'm from. So um, we want our guys just to have a chance, you know, to graduate their associate degree and be able to move on to whatever school that they seem fit. So at the end of the day, it's being the best we can be, graduate our players, you know, um, you know, hopefully win as many games as we can, win a conference championship, have an opportunity to, you know, go to the World Series every year and, and um, just moving our players on, you know. And, and But at the end of the day, we talk about the player development. And that's so important because if you love to coach, you're going to want to enjoy watching kids get better on a daily basis. And it ain't easy, but the player development is a very, very – crucial part of what we're trying to do at Wabash Valley. It's getting kids better in it because it's the ultimate when you see a kid after two years develop and being able to be the best he can be. So there's just so many things that go into that, but we're trying to kind of break it down and simplify it, not just the wins and losses. Although that's awesome, but at the end of the day, we just want to get our kids better. And most of the time, I think when you have that attitude and you recruit the right players, and you're you know you're trying to do things the right way. The wins the wins come, and they do. You know, however much you're focused on them, they're they're going to be there. And there's a couple of different ways that I'd like to go off of that answer, um, and there's things you just talked about. I guess the first one I would like to ask is just about um, you know if there's a if there's a high school athlete or the parent of a high school athlete or even a high school coach listening to this, um, what would be your advice? when they are looking into different levels because you touched on some things you know a lot of guys just have a have a mindset of you know division one or bust but there's a lot of other really good levels out there you had a successful division three career you send your players on all the time to good division twos as well as the division ones and and being in a junior college program i think sometimes that level is overlooked by by some kids especially in different parts of the country where junior college baseball is not very prevalent like in pennsylvania there aren't a lot of good division uh junior college programs in the state or even around the state there are there are a couple here and there but not a lot of them so I don't know a lot of kids come out of high school and really look at junior college as a viable option so if you were if you were you know giving advice to like your neighbor or your nephew or someone like that who's who's looking at the college process what are some things that you think are the most important elements to deciding you know to kind of narrowing it down and deciding what level or or what school is right for you well, um, we, we always talk about this in our recruiting process, you know, and it is about the, the right fit. And, but that right fit has so many things involved in that. You know, we talk about, you know, with your parents, you know, financially, does it fit? Does it fit academically? Does it fit as a place that you can you know, have a chance to play right away? Because if you're a guy that, hey, thinks that, hey, I gotta, I'm going to go to this program, so I'm going to, you know, step right in and play, well, sometimes that's, that's not the right program for you because, to me, I don't care where you go, you need to compete. And so there's so many things that goes into that, but I think ultimately parents need to understand that, you know, it's got to be good for them on all areas of finances. It's got to be good academically where my, my, you know, my son can uh, actually grow as a person and get better academically, get, become a better baseball player. We can develop, you know, whether that be Division One or Division Three, what, what have you. You know, I think it's about getting better, and I think that ultimately that parents need to understand that these things are – there's great programs at every level, and that it's about getting your kid to the, the program that's going to help him, you know, achieve whatever he wants to do, but at the same time, you don't have to, you know, go in debt $40,000 a year just to go to a place when you're going to end 
back up at a junior college. And so you, you see so many different scenarios in that. And I think that be patient along the process, you know, go visit all the schools and, and write down what's the really important factors, you know, involved in this because, man, it can be really, really difficult to, it's difficult to answer that question, but ultimately it's the right fit. Yeah, it's a loaded question because each each situation is a little bit different, but it's just fun to hear. I like asking coaches that just to kind of hear, um, you know, hear their perspective on things. So you kind of brought up about um, kids that go to a four-year school, a really expensive four-year school, and end up end up transferring to junior colleges. And this might be sort of an extension of the last question. Yeah. What would you say are the top couple reasons that kids transfer from four-year schools back to you guys? What are some of the biggest reasons that you've seen that over the years? Well, I think, that, number one, academics. I mean, there is a lot of students out there that will step into a four-year school, and they're really good students in high school. And they get to a four-year you know, atmosphere, and for whatever reason, they're not mature enough, and their priorities are not they're not mature enough to handle those priorities and the academics slip first. And it's a different ball game when you're at some universities that have, you know, huge classroom sizes or there's just so much going on that they're distracting. And, and so I think the academics uh, will slip first and that's why we get some, you know, some kickbacks. The other reason is maybe it's financial uh, reasons they can't afford it. And I think most importantly, it's because of, what I call, you know, how America works right now is the kids want to play right now. And so if they're competing for a position, it's hard to play at any good program. But if you're a Division one program, it's, there's not too many freshmen that are just, you know, walking right into programs and, and starting and being impactful. And so sometimes they, you know, they get humbled. And so, and it's good. It's good for kids to get humbled and fail. And, you know, and so that's why we get a lot of bounce backs. And so. And that's a tough conversation to have with kids because at the same yeah. time, like you you want to tell a young kid, like, hey, don't be afraid to compete. Don't be afraid to go to that school and compete. But then it just – you want them to be optimistic, but it just doesn't always work that way. And I guess a, a good way to figure that out would be to see, you know, who's playing ahead of you at those schools. At junior college, you don't have that as much because you only have freshmen and sophomores. Right. But, That's right. you know, for example, if you want to play third base and the, the, the school where you want to go to, they had a sophomore play every day at third base last year, like, yeah, you might be able to beat that kid out, but – <laughs> it might not be the easiest route to go. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Um I want to talk a little more about about junior college. I love the junior college route myself. I wish that I had gone to junior college and now that I've coached at that level, it's uh I mean to me it's it's a it's the right fit for nearly everybody. I mean there aren't many people unless you're talking about the guy who's got a chance to be a freshman All-American or something like that, you know, junior college seems like the best route for most people to me, but I don't know that enough people out there are familiar with a lot of the nuances of junior college. So I just want to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, sure. Academically at a junior college, you know, this is probably one of the stigmas is that, uh, you know, the questions about the academics, but you've obviously had kids move on to some, to some of the best, you know, not only athletic, but some of the best academic schools in the country, not just the Division One schools, but, uh, you know, a lot of Division Twos and Division Threes have excellent academics as well. Can you just talk a little bit about how the academics work there with the two-year associate's degree, you know, how those, how that, how that transfers into four-year schools? You know, do most of your kids, do most of their credits transfer when they're looking to go to a four-year school? Can you just, you mind talking about that process a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we always, you know, talk about the first 10 or 15 minutes when, um, a recruit comes in, I always have them set up with an academic advisor, and they go through the whole gauntlet of, 
kind of how and what it takes to to graduate from here because that's the bottom line is we want our kids to graduate and they have to have that expectation to do it but going into that our curriculum here is based on the University of Illinois curriculum so um, to get an associate's degree um, it's normally about 60 to 64 hours that he's going to have to uh, to pass with an associate that, that will help you know, with an associate's degree and in involved in that is all your general education requirements so um, your first two years, you generally take your general ed requirements, which, which is your master's sciences and, and all of the good stuff that you would take even if you're at Moorhead State the first two years. Um, and then you declare a major. So um, our goal is to make sure that, um, you know, we, we take care of those classes uh, the first two years and that every one of our, you know, baseball players, our student athletes, they're taking anywhere from 15 to 18 hours a semester, okay? Now, to be a full-time student, it's 12 hours, but we want our guys to take 15 to 18, um, so we're well above, you know, the 64 hours when it's, when it's time to go in case that you're struggling in class and you have to maybe drop it and take something else. We want that you know, system in place, you know, so we want our guys to compete, and normally in the fall, there's going to be a bigger load than in the spring so um, that, that's kind of the, the skinny of that but you know it's so important that along those lines of graduating you have a system in place you know that whether it's study hall whether it's some sort of a system in place that you're monitoring your players and that's something that we take a lot of pride in here so if a kid comes in there and he and he takes you know, legitimate classes for two years, and he's got a full workload, 15 to 18 hours a semester mm -hmm. for two years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, again, this is just to inform people that are listening in this. Oh, sure. Kids are basically able to transfer to any school that they want academically. Maybe not. I don't know if Ivy League schools will, will take junior college transfers out. I haven't really got into that. But, but for the most part, you're, you know, 95% of four-year schools out there will will accept that associate's degree with – with likely every class maybe except one on occasion, but pretty much every class is going to transfer, right? So that so you really don't miss a beat academically if you do what you're supposed to do at your junior college. And that's the beautiful thing about it. A lot of people don't understand that. But yeah, we have binding agreements with you know a prestigious school like Illinois, and, and we've sent kids from the, to several of the Big Ten schools. And so yeah, aside from me, you hit it right on the head with uh, the Ivy League. We've sent players to tons of prestigious schools. So yeah, as long as they're taking you know, those classes, and there's some kids that have to struggle a little bit and have to take remedial and test out of remedial to get to regular classes, but, you know, honestly, we don't use any excuses for a kid not to graduate, whether it's learning disabilities, whether it's, hey, he's already a good student, there's no excuse for him after two years not to graduate, and, you know, our, you know, our goal is every year, I mean, this, this past semester, we had a really amazing GPA, it was 3.4 team GPA so our expectations are 3.0 or higher at least at Wabash Valley and, and, and most junior colleges do that as well so um, as long as you're after two years you have a 2.5 with the new regulations for um, four-year schools um, or higher GPA you're going to be in good shape. What about uh, financially you know this is another area that's probably overlooked by a lot of people but typically you know, in general, junior colleges tend to be cheaper than four-year schools. Um, is that is that the case with Wabash as opposed to like the, a lot of the four-year schools your kids go to, or even the four-year schools that are in your in the region of Illinois, Indiana, around you guys? Sure, and, and it's probably ninety 
some percent of all junior colleges are going to be cheap. And there is private junior college as well that are, you know, that are different, but all junior colleges are going to be, you know, cheaper than a four-year school. So we're fortunate that obviously we offer scholarships, but even if you didn't receive a scholarship, it's incredibly cheap to go to school here. And it's just, it's just awesome that we can, you know, offer, you know, our education services um, at that kind of rate, and we're blessed for that. So, scholarships. Uh, yep. You guys are a Division One junior college, and there are there is Division One, Division Two, II, and three junior college programs across the country. I don't know about the California junior college system if it's different than the NJCAA. But yep. Can we speak about the NJCAA? And would you just mind giving people an idea of what kind of scholarships? Um, are possible for Division One and Division Two junior college programs. Yeah, so it, it's similar to a four-year school, and I mean four-year colleges in that Division One can offer scholarships. They're able to offer the maximum, and all schools at Division One junior college vary. You know, some get the maximum, and the maximum is 24 tuition waivers, uh, books, housing, and food. Um, some can do that, some can't. Um, at the Division Two junior college level they can offer full tuition and books um, and they're able to offer 24 um, you know tuition waivers as well and then division three junior college are not able to offer scholarships so it's just real similar in the NCA in that regard so and it just varies from you know school to school like four years do and obviously it depends what kind of, what the budget is but but just to reiterate that that's division one junior colleges have an opportunity to offer 24 full scholarships yep Absolutely. covering everything if the school is financially able to do so. Exactly. So, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. So not only are junior college programs, junior college in general is usually cheaper than a four-year school. And in addition to that, you know, a Division One, an NCAA Division One team is only allowed to offer, they have 11.7 total scholarships, whereas a, a Division One junior college could have as many as 24 full scholarships. So I guess just more reason why it's usually a financially better decision to go to junior college. I don't mean to just make this a total pitch for JUCO, but I just, I really, Coach Fournier, I believe in the level so much that I just, I think it's important that we spend time just, just talking about this and letting people to know about it. And, and at least with Wabash and a lot of other junior colleges, um, a lot of times the schools are going to be a little bit smaller and not all the time, but a, but a lot of times the junior colleges are, are maybe uh, some smaller towns. And I guess the reason I, I even bring that up is because Going to a four-year school at a, at a college that has, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 people at it can sometimes be daunting, and you can get a little bit lost. And, and also, I think you can kind of get caught up in the atmosphere of being in a place like that and kind of lose track of why you were there in the first place. Is that something that you've seen as well as just like the, the kind of the small-town setting that you guys have? Do you think that helps guys to kind of stay on track with what they came there to accomplish? I really do. I mean, obviously, you've, you know, you've been through it, and, and um you really know exactly how it works, and, and uh, you're right on track with what, you know, basically I talk about, you know, with all of our players current and incoming, you know, freshman recruits is, hey, you go to, for us at Wabash Valley College, you know, um, we get the right fit. We want kids that are not worried about all the social distractions. You're coming here because you want to dominate the classroom. You want to dominate getting better in baseball. And we're not going to tell you that there's <laughs> we got 8,000 people in City Mount Carmel. You know, uh, it's we're not going to talk and tell about all the uh, things that, that are around it. It's it's not about that. And so for us, we keep our kids so busy that we eliminate distractions. Our kids are going to find ways to you know make poor decisions. It doesn't matter where you're at in the country or do that. But for us, there's less 
time to do that, um, and there's less distractions. And we want the right fit that just that are just worried about baseball in school. And those those things are so crucial for the kids that we get. And we believe that's one of the reasons why we've been successful. You're talking about recruits and the kids you're getting on campus, kids you end up signing. What are what are some of the things that you look for in players that you're recruiting? What are some of the most important um, attributes a player needs to have to be recruited by Wabash Valley? So it's a, it's a great question. And through my course of coaching, I've, you know, you're constantly competing to find, you know, what I've seen the right fit. And I always circle back to, for us at Wabash Valley, it's always value over need. You know, I'm, we're never going to pass up on a player that brings something special. You know, everybody talks about, you know, th these are our needs. Um, for us, if we get five great shortstops and they're athletic and we can move them around, we're going to do that. If they bring something special and something that we can use, that's more valuable than our needs. So we want really good athletes, obviously, just like everybody does. We're going to recruit a lot of shortstops. We're going to recruit a lot of catchers. Um, and then more importantly, moving forward, you know, this is positional standpoint. What we're talking about here is we want guys that can create. We want speed. We want a combination of speed and power. So because um, we like to run the things that we do that, um, you know, I'm growing up, you know, on the West Coast, you know, we, we enjoy, you know, the, the short game and back control and, and all the things offensively that, you know, we learned out there and I learned out there that we're still using here, in, here at Wabash College. So we want speed and power. We want athletic guys. Um, but more importantly, we really want to grind on the fact that, hey, what kind of background does this kid come from? You know, what kind of worker is he? Um, has he went through some failure? Has he, does he play and come from a good program? I think that's really important is recruiting players from good programs where they've been through some things, they've been well coached. Um, so the learning curve is a little bit, you know, of course we love to teach, but, you know, when you come from a good program, you've been through some failure, you've been through some things, you've been well coached. So, you know, we trust the guys that we're recruiting from. And um, so from a positional standpoint, we want to recruit speed and some power and have a good balance of that in our offense. Um, and from a positional, from a pitching standpoint, it's really hard because everybody wants, you know, the great arms and the guys that throw hard. And for us, you know, we want a combination of guys who can throw strikes and have, have good arm action that we can develop. You know, it's tough to get a, a guy who already, already throws 92 to 94 that, you know, is throwing strikes. We're not going to get that guy. So we have to do some projecting and, and we have to have confidence in our confidence in our coaching ability that we're going to get a pitcher that, you know, maybe doesn't throw real hard yet that we're going to develop. Maybe his arm works well and he throws strikes and he's from a good program. So um, it's, the recruiting part is, is so much fun, and every year we're trying to improve on what we do here. So just kind of across the board, I know for pitchers, um, and it was this way when I used to come and watch you guys play, you know, teams like to recruit big, big body pitchers, you know, guys that are tall, sure. guys that are pretty strong. Um, for someone that might be listening to this who, who maybe doesn't fit that physical profile, you know, maybe a guy that's like a 5'10", 5'11", right-hander, uh -huh. what does a kid like that need to do to be able to not only find his way onto the Wabash Valley roster but to, to earn some innings for you guys? Obviously, if that's not everything, you know, the size and, and even the velocity, I'll, I'll throw that in there too. A guy that maybe doesn't, 
is 5'10", 5'11", that maybe throws, you know, as pretty good velocity but not off the charts velocity, what does that guy need to do for you guys to be interested in him and then have that guy earn some playing time for you? So I think he needs to have a separator pitch that we call it, you know, and I think that he really needs a really good breaking ball um, and really needs to dominate the strike zone, and, and he's a guy that has to be the ultra competitor. And, and that's the thing that the recruiting part is a little bit more difficult to – project and recruit is what kind of competitor is that guy he needs to be able to throw strikes he's got to have a good change up in the curveball and um, so that guy has to be what we say an overachiever you know and we recruit those guys all the time and so our, our number basically our number one pitcher right now was the same way out of high school he's 82 to 85 but he threw strikes and he was an ultra competitor he's a quarterback in high school um, and we saw he could develop and so right now he's 87 to 91 um, and he signed a really good scholarship to University of Alabama. So we have tremendous need for those guys. You know, it's just a matter of, hey, you really got to be a guy that likes to work, but you better have some really good secondary stuff. Just speaking about velocity, um, that's an area that uh, that gets a lot of attention on social media. And, you know, for good reason. I think there's there's something definitely to, yeah. you know, velocity on the mound. I think everybody likes it. As a recruiter, I think you're making a mistake if you're not trying to recruit velocity. But, right. but obviously is it. Not everybody can get it. Not every school is necessarily in a position to, like you said, to get a guy that's 90, 92 out of high school. Um, right. What kind of velocity do you guys typically see? Like where, where is a high school kid um, typically at when you guys are recruiting him? Someone that you think is maybe projectable, but what kind of velocity are you typically getting out of high school uh, into your place? Just to give people sort of a reference. Um, I would say so. There's several guys that we've recruited that are all 87 to 90. Um, but do they really pitch? Uh, pitch there? Do they throw strikes there? No, it's, a, it's a whole different debate. But we'll get guys like that. We also get guys that are maybe 84 to 85 to 88 that really has a good breaking ball, a really good changeup, and you can project that with the velocity and his arm work and and all those good things. But for the most part, you know, we want guys that are athletic that are mid to upper 80s that, you know, throw the good breaking ball, throw the good change up. Um, if we can get anybody better, than that, that's great. But um, there's a lot that goes into that, you know. And, you know, we have confidence that we can develop guys. And, and But at the same time, you know, of course we want velocity. You know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all, we all get uh, tricked into that, but it's not, it's not the end of all. I want to ask a couple questions just for people, uh, again, trying to help them to understand just some terms and some things that coaches look for. If you're looking for a competitor in high school, what do you see out of a, out of a high school baseball player that, um, that, that you're going to write down or, or note that, wow, this guy is competitive? Like, what are you looking for in games? And that's, that's a great question. So, you know, a lot of it is, is how he deals with, you know, his composure his body language, all those things are seen. And just kind of talking about that a little bit, that's something that, you know, we really take a lot of pride in talking about every single day and working on is just body language, you know, how much that dictates, you know, what you're sending off to the other team. You know, can you bounce back after a bad call? Um, can you pitch through adversity? Can you pitch through, you know, getting hit? Can you pitch through having bad stuff? Um, that composure and that body language is a huge deal for for us here and that's something that as coaches here at Wabash Valley that we started really learning about and understanding that part of the game how important that is I think that's when we really started to get you know kind of 
you know, take our program to the next level is understand the crucialness of that. Is that something you think you can teach, or is that something that you want to see from a kid before you bring them in? Well, you know, I, I think it's something you can teach. I really do. I and mean, if you talk about it every day and work on it every single day, what it looks like, what needs to be happening, and that goes back to the mental game of how to breathe, you know, how to get uh, back to your moment. Um, I think that in high school it's tough. You know, there's there's some – that's why it goes back to recruiting, uh, you know, players from good programs and not that – you know, we'll recruit kids from anywhere, but at the same time, I think that these, there's some great high school coaches out there that work on that stuff. And, and so, um, but yeah, that's stuff that we look at as, as a competitor, that they work. And then ultimately, we want to know how hard he works in practice, you know, and works on the little things, whether it's schoolwork, all that, all those things count for us in competing. You know, competing is, you know, it's across the board. It's competing in the classroom. It's complete competing in the weight room. It's competing, you know, when he does running drills you know, swimming drills, just whatever the case may be. I mean, we want our guys to compete in everything we do. So we're going to do a lot of research on, on how a kid competes. You also mentioned that you want athletic kids multiple times, and that might be a little bit harder to define. But, if, again, if you're talking to a parent or a young player, you know, what are things that you see from a young kid that, that again, that you're noting that this guy is athletic? How do you define athleticism when you're watching a high school athlete? It's funny, but and I think you know this most. You can show up to a ballpark and just watch the way kids carry themselves, watch the way they walk, watch the way they play catch. Um, you know, talk to the coaches about how they do in their, you know, their workouts. Uh, but you know, basically the measurables, obviously, you know, as a position player, how does he run? Uh, you know, how does he? You know, how does he lift? How does he – is he a good basketball player? Does he play other sports? You know, there's so many things going into that. You know, for me, you know, I am still really firm on, you know, kids need to play multiple sports, and that's different than a lot of, you know, coaches these days. But if we want our guys to, you know, hey, did you play football? That's awesome, you know, because it's so competitive and you have to be athletic. I want guys to play multiple sports if possible. But at this day and age, it's hard because everything's year-round. But that wasn't the case growing up, and I think that was a really good benefit that I had. And you know, players around me that they were more athletic in some areas. So, how would you respond to a parent or a young young player who said that I don't play multiple sports because I feel like I would have fallen behind in baseball? So, early on in my you know freshman sophomore year or whatever of high school, I decided I'm only going to do I'm only going to play baseball. Obviously, you you just said you like multi-sport athletes. If you're talking with a parent again who or an athlete who has that outlook, how would you respond to that? I think you can you can easily talk to the parent about hey if he really loved basketball, you'll find a way. Okay, if you really love football, you'll find a way to practice baseball, you know, on the side or, you know, basically after practice, before practice, you'll you'll find a way. But I would never tell a parent hey you need to need to play one sport because the memories that you get you know high school football and high school basketball um, are things and what they teach you as far as competing and being more athletic and just developing relationships in, the, in those moments are, are just priceless to me. So I would Coach, say find a way. You've obviously got, a, in my opinion, a great outlook on, on a lot of things. And, and just to me, the, the continued success your program has had, you know, you're doing a lot of things the right way. And you probably have these conversations with your own coaches. But speaking to a young coach, if you had a chance to speak to a guy in his first or second year of coaching, no matter what level it was, what would be a little bit of advice that you would give a young coach who's just just getting into just beginning his 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 baseball coaching career? For me, I think it's so important for you to be open-minded. So I would talk to 
um, the young coach about being open-minded, okay, and listening and understand that form your own philosophy, but at the same time, you just have to understand how important it is to work and listen and learn and listen and learn and don't be afraid to make mistakes and just be coachable. You know, as a young coach, you know, that was the biggest thing for me is understanding the, the minor details. I can remember my first year um, at McMurray College, um, we were sending out recruiting letters, and I spelled um, a kid's name wrong, and, you know, my head coach realized and, and told me about it. <laughs> he made me understand how important the, the finer details about everything, and so it's funny how you know, this day and age, I still talk about that in our program, one of the central themes is everything, everything counts. And so just being coachable and understand that every little thing counts and that and to be open-minded about things is so important. So for you personally, when you are <clears throat> you're going through your day, you know, you've obviously got to maintain, uh, you've got to have, you know, time management. You've got to be on kind of on point every day as the head coach of a program and, and be able to maintain your success. Are there anything that, anything that you do personally um, that sort of helps you to stay on track every day or anything that, that you think leads to you sort of being set up to have a, a successful day? Because you've talked about that number of times, just kind of being your best every day. Is there anything that you do to kind of keep yourself at your best every day, whether it's a little bit of morning coffee or, you know, just any, any personal habit you might have? Well, number one, I had a huge coffee person. My wife calls me a coffee snob, so there's <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, you know, going back to the old-fashioned things to do list. You know, we, uh, you know, I, I think that that's something that we talked to our assistant coach coaches about. That I want you to actually write it down. What's important, and the things to do list is the ultra importance. And the first thing we do as the coaching staff is we meet and talk about practice and how are we going to dominate the day making the best practice plan, whether it's just, for example, today, we know we probably got to figure out where to practice. It might be in the tennis courts. It might be somewhere else. Whatever we got to do, we're going to spend an hour and a half to two hours sometimes trying to figure out how we're going to get our players better and how we're going to get put our, situ our guys in a situation where they're going to compete. And there's no excuses, no matter if we're dealing with bad weather or not, we're going to find a way to compete and make our practice the best possible way it is. So that's the ultimate thing is putting priorities in, in line, and player development has to be the most important thing. So we'll talk about practice from the very get-go, and then we will work from there. Uh, you and I talked before we started recording, uh, and, and you kind of brought it up, so I'd like to bring it up again just about uh, – not always being able to practice on a field and but not making excuses about it and understanding that you still have to find a way to get better um just for anybody coaches in the north out there would you mind uh talk a little bit just about when you when you can't get on a field just some some creative things that you guys do um in some weird places that you'll practice just to find a way to get <laughs> your guys outside or just a way to get some reps in sure i mean there's so many different ways and you have to be extremely creative um, today, for example, we'll be probably in our parking lot or the tennis courts like I alluded to. Um, so, you know, just to get thrown in. If we have to shovel some snow, we'll have to do it just to get long toss in. But we'll, we'll do long toss sometimes in the nets. You know, we're fortunate that we do have a gym that we can play catch in. Um, you know, but inside, uh, our pitchers are throwing live today. So we have, I think, six or seven pitchers that are throwing live today. Um, we're going to divide up into two teams. And they're going to compete on just, obviously, we can't see in a cage where the ball goes, but we're going to keep track of, for example, barrel shots um, is number one. 
and the winner's going to have a they're going to be able to celebrate the loser's going to be able to uh they're going to have consequences for us so we have the the barrel competition we have what we talk about with k-zone awareness competition where hey we want our guys we value you know hit swing a strike so little things like that we're going to try to do to compete our pitchers have their own competition of throwing strikes and, and that kind of thing so but it takes time to go over that and be organized about that so um, we try to do that the day before the morning of whatever the case may be um, there's crazy times where you know we've had to practice you know basically in the middle of the road sometimes you know wherever we can do to find a spot you know to to do long toss to take ground balls or whatever the case may be it's to me, you know, we talk about this, and I'm sure you've all heard this, but uh, it helped our program when you embrace what we call the suck. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ultra important, and, and our guys, you know, they get a kick out of that. But it's the truth, you know. You, you have fun with it, and ultimately we feel like our guys will appreciate more things. So, I think that's great and such a great perspective on a lot of things. Uh, this is Rob Fournier, everybody. He's the head baseball coach at Wabash Valley Community College, a junior college in uh, Mount Carmel, Illinois, and one of the most successful junior college programs in the country. He's been there for 22 years. They've won 22 straight, 22 straight winning seasons, um, 22 straight seasons of 30 or more wins. 15 of the last 22 seasons have the team has won 40 or more games. Um, just a, a team that you can count on to be in the top 25 nationally every year. So, I, Rob, I really appreciate you spending the time with us today on the podcast. To me, it was very informative and just a, a lot of really great info. Hopefully, uh, people that got to tune in, you know, feel the same way I did about it. But I was I was pretty locked in the whole time. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Well, just on the flip side, I, I've done several of these, and I just love the questions you ask because they're, they're important uh, questions. And, and I just appreciate you having me here, and I hope that um, we've helped any parents out there um, just it, it's been great to talk with you. I appreciate you. Yeah, I think we'll have to do this again sometime because there toward the end there you start talking about your practices. I'd almost like to talk to you more just about how you how you set things up, kind of some, some specific things you do at practice. So maybe we'll have to set up another one of these at some point. But uh, but again, I appreciate your time today and uh, best of luck to you guys this spring, which you guys are starting pretty soon, aren't you? Absolutely, February 9th, uh, first day down in Tennessee, Jackson State. So it's uh, it's uh, going to be fun. Very good. Well, good luck to you guys this spring. Thanks again. Thank you so much.